This is an interview with Jeff Potts, guitarist for the Fay, on Sunday, December 27th, 2020, by Nick Brickell. Now, Jeff, can you tell me about how you got into power metal and neoclassical music? Yeah, um, I think I was maybe 15, 16. Uh, I was really into guitar at this point. I kind of found like my thing, and I was already like the kid in town who could play a rough gen and who could play a whole Zeppelin album start to finish. Being kind of isolated in a small town when the internet was still like the old school internet, I thought like, well, I guess this is it. I guess I'll just go and get famous now. Um, and a kid moved to my, my town from, I think, Edmonton in Canada, and he brought with him a lot of cool music. He brought prog metal and power metal into my life. You know, it was the day of like trading burn season, like original Napster days. So he gave me a best of Rhapsody CD and he was kind of making fun of it. Like if you want to hear some like European metal, that sounds like it should be in the Lord of the Rings, like check this out. And I was immediately like, well, that sounds excellent. So I put it on like a lot of power metal fans, like the moment Emerald sword kicks in, you're like, well, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, it was the first time I heard like double bass drums and mainly it was up until then I had heard bands play blues based music where you're playing riffs, you're playing solos over the riffs, over just the plain guitar chord shapes. And of course, a lot of them get more interesting than that, but that's the heart of it. But when I heard these bands, because over the next few days, I ended up finding Ingve and Symphony X, and this band Darkmoor really hit me hard early on. Hearing the harmony they used, where the parts were moving in different directions, but they worked together, where everyone was playing something different, but it was beautiful when you heard it all together. And I don't know, something in me just went like, this is the real knowledge. This is the real like hidden stuff that not everyone learns because it's actual work to learn because you don't get to look cool while you're doing it. You don't get to like, chicks don't think it's cool if you study. <laughs> you don't get to, you know, there's no party involved. This is just the hard work part. And I really loved the way it sounded. So that led me into classical music really, which is what sustained my interest in the genre because to this day, I feel like when I talk to power metal fans, everyone's going, dude, did you see Camelot's latest tour? Did you see Gamma Ray's latest tour? And I'm like, man, these guys, all of these bands, like I love all their classic records. Don't get me wrong. Like all of these kind of staples of power metal bands. Yeah, I can sing every chorus Sonata Arctica has and, you know, a lot of these bands, but it seems like a lot of them put out their best music like almost 20 years ago at this point. So none of them really keep me sustained in the genre. It's just actually liking classical music and liking to play heavy music. That is the reason I, I keep doing it. How has your experience with working on improving your timing after recording with Steve Evitz changed the way you compose music? I mean, it's freed me up to do more. Way to do the homework. This is from our last interview where uh, we talked about what I learned from working with Warbringer and Steve Evans. So yeah, what I learned was my timing sucked and it made me start paying attention to like the musicality of my playing more. So I don't know, it opened up the idea of if you really do lock this stuff in, you can make music that's technical and that's intricate without having to make it fucking fake. <laughs> Just like, punching in one note at a time. Like you could still maintain that live dirty feel that I really found I love. 
like for a long time, I was into this hyper polished power metal stuff, but I realized after a while that like all the power metal bands sound exactly the same now because every, all the mistakes are fixed out of most metal music these days. And like, if you don't leave the dirt on it, there's no identity. But in order to leave the dirt on it, you have to play it better in the first place. And what I was lacking in that was really just locking in the groove, honestly. And like, I feel like that's something a lot of metal players skip. And you can tell the ones who don't skip it because they sound killer compared to everyone around them. <laughs> what was it like uh, forming the Fae? And give me a rundown on your history with the members. It was a really fun idea. I, for years, had wanted to make my own band. Like, I'd played in a few bands. You know, I did Mantic Ritual and Gygax and Warbringer and hired gun stuff here and there. And I like it. Like, I like just being a guitar player. It's a blast. And honestly, when it's someone else's project, there's so little to worry about. Like, if I'm in a band where I just have to, like, play guitar, help out where I can, that's fun. Um, when I was at the point of quitting Gygax, I was, like, pretty down. You know, whenever you quit a band, there's always, like, a couple weeks of, like, being bummed because being in a band is fun. Even if the time has come to leave the band, then it's still, like, a bummer. You're, like, losing something awesome out of your life. So I was talking to Nico, our bassist, who's, like, my best bud, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And he said, you have some songs laying around, right? And I said, well, I have a few like in bits and pieces, nothing's all, like only a few of them are complete. I have chunks of other things. And he was like, let's make a record. So he kind of pushed me early on to do it. Um, I had all these ideas because most of the bands I was in, I didn't really have creative input. In Mantic, I was cool with it. That was mostly Dan writing. In Warbringer, we all had creative input because we had a very short amount of time to write that record, so it was everyone who can contribute. In Gygax, I feel like I was at a point when I wanted to start putting more in creatively, but Eric kind of had his thing going and his own vision for it. But there was all this stuff I wanted to try with bands that all these cool rock and roll bands I love growing up would do, like be more theatrical, put on a show, have dynamics, have songs where you bring it down so you can bring it up again. Have at least some part of the set where you're improvising and actually just playing music off each other in the moment. None of the bands I was in had any interest in doing this or playing a lot of the music I was writing. It was always like my ideas for what to do on stage and what to do with like lyrics and what to do with music were always either too complicated, too much work, or too gay. So I thought like, well, I guess I could make a band and like name it after fairies to give everyone the finger on that. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> and I had this idea. And uh, yeah, Nico pushed me to do it. He goes down to South America every year to go play with friends. Probably not this year, but we'll see. Uh, he has a bunch of musician friends down there and they have access to a studio that's really cheap if you're American and you're going to a country or the exchange rate's so crazy. So he was like, hey, come down and record a record with me. I have a drummer down there who loves, he always wants to do something heavy, but none of us are really into heavy music. This drummer's begging me for a heavy project. So I demoed everything up myself. I gave everyone their parts and flew down there and recorded it. So that's how the whole thing started. It's just my idea of a band that plays like heavy, plays fantasy 
play surprising stuff, but I want it to sound like a groovy 70s band, and I want it to stay dirty, and I want to have space to improvise and to build a really ridiculous live show. I don't know, just a band to try stuff. Uh, so I've known Nico for like a decade now, and uh, he knew the drummer that he's been jamming with for a long time. I met Luna and the last day of a Blind Guardian tour, it was the uh, At the Edge of Time, which was like such a killer record. And I went to the last day of the tour and ended up meeting Luna because they said they were from L.A. And I was like, oh, my band lived there for a while. Meltdown. I'm like, which bands do you do? So we made friends. And I don't know. We ran into each other over the years and always talked about making 70s power metal. So we finally got around to it. Like, what's the process you guys go through to compose a new song? Uh, right now, it's just I write everything and hand everyone their parts. When I originally wrote all the music we have right now, I didn't know who was going to be playing it. I just knew I wanted to write music. So now that I have a band, it's really exciting because I'm still the main writing guy, but I know who I'm writing for. And I know like, oh, I have a, a bass player and a drummer who have played R&B together, who have played funk together, who have played really crazy stuff together, who can just lay back and do a groove together. Like, I have a rhythm section who knows how to be a rhythm section. That's going to change what the next music sounds like. I know Luna's going to be singing. That's going to change what we do. And hopefully when all this crazy COVID stuff is over, we'll be able to get in a room and make music together, and that should change it. So right now it's me writing it, but I'm really looking forward to the day when it's collaborative because they're all really cool musicians that have a lot to say. With the pandemic, are you able to practice together via webcast? I hear it's possible. There's these things like Jam Kazam out there. We haven't tried it yet. Like those videos we made were just, I demoed up the song, Emma recorded his drums. I laid the guitars on top of that, Nico put in the bass, then we all did our vocals and I did all the keys on top and whatever else, all our strange percussion and stuff. So we haven't done it simultaneously. Um, I think we're all just trying to wait out the pandemic and have a lot of plans for what we're going to do as soon as we can all get together. Your first release was an instrumental called A Corner of Avalon. Paint the story on how that song came together. Yeah, A Corner of Avalon. I just released it because I wanted to snag the band name and say that I had something released because I ran into a lot of delays. We've been sitting on this record for a minute now. So I thought, like, well, there's an instrumental. It's not even really mixed, but it's done. So I'll throw it up online to have something. I wrote that because when I went to Argentina to record this record, <laughs> my wife, we always celebrate like the anniversary of our first date, which is April 28th. And she came home from work and I said, guess what? Nico and I bought plane tickets to Argentina and we just had a drink over Skype with Emma down in South America. We all slugged some whiskey and we're doing it. We're flying to South America to record my record. And she goes, cool, when are you going? And I was like, mid-April till early May. And she's like, cool, what did you tell me you wouldn't do? And I was like, leave the country during our anniversary. Like, oh, shit. Oh, I'm <laughs> such an asshole. So <laughs> when I was there on the 28th, I think they were doing some drums and bass that day. So I just went off by myself and like wrote a little song for my wife to say sorry. And yeah, it's like uh, a corner of Avalon comes from it's like Arthurian myth. Like we're both big fantasy fans. So I wanted to sound like a little like 
corner of pagan paradise island. Like, I don't know. It's supposed to be just beautiful and romantic. How old is the song Fairy Rock, and what was the original inspiration for it? That song originally came about a few years ago. I even tried it with a different band that never really came to be. I tried to write quickly. I have a big problem with overthinking it and overcomplicating it. So one day when I was living in L.A., my friend said, come surfing. And I said, no, I have to finish this song. And they said, God damn it, Jeff, you're just going to spend all your time making one riff that's really complicated. Come surfing. And I said, screw you. And then they left. And I thought, man, if I don't have a song done by the time they get back, they're never going to let me live it down. So I better finish this. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw something together like, don't make the riffs complicated. Just make it heavy and loud. And like, you'll be able to play. Like, the less you write, the more you can play. So from there, it just became a monster of overdubs and adding parts and adding harmonies. And I got really into Queen, and I had finally, like, really gotten my harmony knowledge together and wanted to make it really huge as we went on but the inspiration i just always wanted to write fantasy but in fact i don't like most fantasy metal especially what's coming out today because now fantasy means video games and movies and i hate fantasy video like i don't like video games i've never been a gamer i don't like fantasy movies because they always pale in comparison to the books and some of them are cool but fine you lose all the depth out of the story and like so I wanted to write like a very classic folky fantasy story that basically goes someone went to the other side, someone saw what's really out there, somebody came back, they're never going to be the same again, and they're kind of bummed they can't return, which is like the roots of oh so many fantasy stories. So I thought of just making it very, yeah, going into this Celtic folklore idea of stepping into the Fae and returning and you've left a part of yourself there. What is the release schedule like for this? Is there like more music on the way real soon, or um, like how much stuff is there in the Raptors? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of music coming. We have a record coming. Uh, Luna's finishing up the vocals now, and then we'll all put our backing vocals on it, and then we'll mix it. I have the cover art already from this guy Dan Lerner, who does really cool art. Yeah, it's all ready to go. We just got to finish up those last tracks. It's funny, it's not like a it's not a long record. I think there's only like eight songs on it. Everyone's like, that's so few. And I'm like, that's how many records, that's how many songs are on so many classic records. Like all the Deep Purple and, and Sabbath and Zep records everyone likes, they usually don't have 14 songs on them. So it only has a few songs, which I, I'm starting to think is pretty strange, but there's a lot of data in those songs. So I don't know, I hope people will like it. I'm also working on another kind of three song EP, like probably another one of these crazy quarantine video release things. And I've already got a few things sitting around on my hard drive. I have the seeds of maybe six songs for the second full length. And I'm starting to cook up ideas. I really want to do an acoustic EP after COVID's over and we can all like just go to a cabin somewhere, bring some mics, bring a bunch of acoustic instruments and percussion and just make something. How do you keep up to date on new rock music? Do you use any blogs like Doomed and Stoned or like hit up like your buddies and stuff? Uh, I don't keep up to date with new rock music. <laughs> I, I should more than I do. Uh, mainly just through social media. Like I had to reactivate my Facebook now that the Faye is active because I have to push it to social media. And I don't know. 
tons of my friends are musicians. Like I've been playing guitar in bands nearly 20 years now, I guess. So I have so many musician friends that are always posting stuff. And that's kind of how I hear about it. Just from friends. I don't really, it's been a long time since I got really into a new rock band. I mostly live in the classical world just because that's what's interesting to me right now. But I always have thought many times in my life that, well, I guess I'm old now and I found all the bands that I'm really going to find that are going to blow me away. And every time I think it happens, I think it's not going to happen again. It does. Like when I was at the tail end of Mantic, I was like, well, I guess metal sucks now. It's all tech death and it's all fake and I hate it. Um, and then Ghost popped on the scene and I was like, whoa, this is fun and theatrical and catchy and old school and has a vibe and like, this is awesome. I love their first three records. And then he kind of like fired his whole band and made it a plastic hired gun bullshit thing. I was like, well, I guess there's no one else I like making this music now, or at least nothing really turning me on. So I guess I need to start writing my own now. I think I have something to say. Yeah, every few years I'll find something. Usually I'm finding new old bands. Like I'm finding Spanish speaking rock bands now. I found Rory Gallagher a few years ago. I thought I knew everything I needed to know about like 70s blues rock. and was absolutely floored. God, maybe five years ago when I got into him. So it just happens by chance. I don't really go looking for it. Oh, dude, you ever check out the Flower Traveling Band from Japan? Hell yeah. Oh my God, great band. Oh my God, you're like the first person. Like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I mean, 70s crazy 70s music has always been kind of my main thing like before i got into meltdown before i got into power metal before i was a thrasher i still never really became so i flower a great example of like it sounds dirty but it works and it's great what about um do you know any other great japanese rock bands from the 70s i think uh, creation is one Creation, yeah. Oh my god, they were very recently introduced to me. Um, if I'm thinking of the same band, who knows? I really don't think I know any other Japanese ones. Honestly, I should. That's like right now with rock bands, like they come and they go, and I hear a lot of stuff and I like stuff, but it's very rare that something makes me stop and go like, "Wait, whoa, I need to get these records." I think another one was a few years ago. Friend of mine had all the Jethro Tull on vinyl, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I never really sat down with this band, but they seem cool." And then I listened to entire records and was like, "Jesus, this is good music." So, you know, once in a while, bands make me really stop and look. Usually, it's just finding old ones. Your debut album is going to be called Books with Maps. Like, um, I take it like <laughs> yeah. at least some of you guys are big D and D fans, right? I actually know. Um, I've played D D once. It was at a candled gag acts rehearsal where it was just me and Eric and Brian. It was really good. Eric was actually a killer DM. I've been into fantasy my whole life, but I've just never been into gaming. I love D D and the community around it and the art and the lore and the fact that it's a game of storytelling. It's all really cool to me, but something in me balks at putting stats into fantasy it, it makes me feel like this isn't what i get out of this <laughs> big, big on fantasy and folklore 
Like I've been going back and reading all this folklore that you can tell it's like the soil that fantasy grew out of. But none of us are D&D guys that I know of. I, I'll have to ask Luna if he's played. Everyone is down with fantasy. I don't think any of them are as into it as me and maybe Luna. Like we both enjoy like the kind of occult stuff and everything that goes out in the folklore and all of that stuff we find cool. But I don't think there's any D&D. We all are complete geeks for a couple specific animes, though, which makes our band chat really funny. What is your most cherished instrument? My most cherished instrument would absolutely be 2005 American Standard Stratocaster. It's cool. I like it because it's so insanely run-of-the-mill. Like, there's nothing special about it. It feels nice. People generally say they really like the neck when they play it. I didn't know. I just knew that, like, my freshman year of college, my friend Derek had a Strat, and I was like, this is sweet. I love like Deep Purple, I like Yngwie, I should try. But it's been everywhere with me. It's been beat up and thrown around, and I played it in all of my bands, from like jazz fusion stuff to thrash metal records. And I love that people comment on it, because you're not supposed to play a Strat in heavy music. Um, but I always enjoyed making it work. I like the fact that it's kind of so standard and ubiquitous. It's like, if you take someone who doesn't listen to any music with electric guitars in it and you tell them to picture an electric guitar in their head, they're probably thinking of a Strat. Like, like They're so standard that they're boring, so it becomes about, it's not your instrument, it's how you're playing it. It's really a matter of your voice. and like, The tone's kind of nasty and unrefined. It's not great. They're sort of shrill. And I don't know, I've just come to really like all of these aspects. I think it's it's such a like blank slate of a sound because everyone's so used to seeing and hearing them that all about you and your playing and not really about the instrument. Okay. Now, when it comes to living in Seattle, you learn about any cool ghost stories or urban legends? I mean, the urban legend of the Pacific Northwest is probably Bigfoot Forest. <laughs> um, I've only been up here since June, so I haven't really gotten into it that much. I did find out that there is... There's a part of Seattle that's like an underground, abandoned, ancient part of the city. When I say ancient, I mean like 1890s. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a place called Pioneer Square that apparently had a really bad fire. And when they rebuilt the city, I guess there were all kinds of issues there, maybe flooding and stuff like that. So they built everything a few stories higher. And at one point, the buildings got like abandoned. So apparently you can still go in there. And there's just like an underground abandoned part of the city, which I find really cool. I, I don't know. I guess it, it'd probably just be crazy just to go in there and like try to like maybe see if you can pose like a song or two there, like on like a day trip or something. Or do you think um, you couldn't get any sort of yeah, like inspiration yeah. on demand as quickly like that? I could. It would be pretty cool. I mean, finding cool locations is fun. Um, well, like those videos they put out when we did the yes cover uh i was already moving to seattle when we recorded it and so i got to record my video for it in the redwood forest as this like cabin that we slept at that night and i just hooked up my laptop and my axe effects and my computer and like sat in the forest and banged it out in one take it was really cool so i'm all about getting inspired by the location I really wanted to do it. I didn't have a way to power my axe effects on the beach, 
because I wanted to record it on the beat of Crashing Waves behind me because I thought it was the most majestic, like, yes, album cover kind of scene I could imagine. <laughs> but that would be cool to just go, like, to this very strange vibe of an underground city and see what that inspires, I would imagine. Would you like to go back to any questions? Yeah, actually, I would. I would like to go back to favorite instruments and just push the idea to anyone who's listening out there that like people get way too obsessed with their gear and they think it makes a huge difference and good gear sounds good obviously like cheap gear generally sounds better than shitty gear that's true but i don't know it was very recently that i started buying like actually high quality stuff and being in a position where i could play nice instruments and it's really just like to what you're good with and using your ears and making your own sound like we're doing this new mantic ritual record and dan is running like os9 on some ancient mac and the tracks he's sending me sound fantastic because he's playing his guitar well like he just gets a click records his tracks and sends them to me and our pre-production is sounding freaking killer and it's like what's this i don't know some cheap old guitar into like an ancient computer who cares? Just play the damn. And that was always our attitude. And I've kind of never lost it. Like, now I try to meet myself nicely and sound good, but I don't know. I just encourage anyone out there, like, if you're a young player and think you need to save up for a $2,000 ESP before you can be good, no way, dude. That's bullshit. <laughs> just find an instrument you like and play it. It doesn't matter what the price tag is. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Uh, this has been an interview with Jeff Potts, guitarist for the Fae. On Sunday, December 27th, 2020, by Nick Perkel.